This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams, and this is the show for anybody curious about where their food comes from, farming and ranching, direct-to-consumer, and even agritourism. And today we're going to learn about a very cool bee company, which they don't make honey. They make something very particular and something very much needed in our industry today. And basically, our guest is Ashish Malik, and he is from a company called Bee Vectoring Technologies, or BVT for short. And so basically, what BVT does, they have created a way for bees to deliver beneficial fungicides to crops. And so the way they do it, Ashish is going to tell us about it. And actually, if you follow us on YouTube, you might have seen our coverage from this year's Southeast Fruit and Vegetable Conference in Savannah, Georgia. We actually met some of the people that work for BVT, and they showed us the actual contraption and how it actually works. So if you want to, head over to our YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com slash farm traveler, and you can see the cool videos there. But basically... Bumblebees or honeybees will go through this hive, and before they leave, they will go through this little tray that has a fungicide on it. And so once the bee then leaves the hive, they'll actually pollinate the, the flowers throughout the crops like they normally do. But as they're pollinating, they will actually deliver that fungicide to the plants, which is awesome. And so Ashish is going to walk us through kind of the whole background of BVT, how they developed it, how this affects bee health, if it does affect them or if it doesn't, and really the inspiration behind BVT and stuff like that. And even, uh, this was a really fun question to ask him, his thoughts on bee drone technology, which is a thing which I think is really, really interesting. So this is an awesome interview. I love learning more about ag tech companies like this that are, you know, working with some of nature's original workers in agriculture, aka bees, and using them very, very effectively with Mother Nature, with crops and everything. So I think this is super fun. So I hope you enjoy it. Again, this is 
episode 135 with Ashish Malik from BVT. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, Ashish Malik. How are you doing, man? I'm uh, doing really well, Trevor. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. So you are with a cool company called BVT, a.k.a. Um, B Vectoring Technologies. And quick little story. My wife and I actually went to the Southeast Regional Fruit and Vegetable Conference wow. this past weekend in Savannah. Yeah. And we were walking around and she was like, hey, what's BVT? I was like, Hold <clears throat> up. Why, why does that sound so familiar? Walked up to it. It was you guys. I met Ian and Everett. They told us and about Everett, the whole yeah. technology. Yeah, got a little demo of everything. Um, oh, that's so awesome. Okay. It was super cool. To, yeah, to chat with them. So um, before we kind of dive into BVT and what that whole thing is, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started. Yeah, I mean, so I've been in the ag industry for about 20 years now. And and actually, I ended up, so unlike a lot of my my colleagues and um, fellow co-workers, I, I, I haven't really, I didn't actually grow up on a farm, but mm-hmm. I've got food and agriculture has been part of my you know, passion from early childhood. I grew up in Rome in Italy. My dad worked at the FAO, Food and Agriculture okay. Organization, for a number of years. Uh, and then I kind of veered off and did engineering for a couple of uh, years, actually a couple of 10, 20 years, and came back into food and ag when uh, my wife and I started a family. And I started kind of reflecting on, sounds a little corny, Trevor, but, you know, what's the <laughs> legacy? What is the meaning of... Um, mm. Of, of what what I do and and I kind of came to the realization that my real passion is food and ag and I got back into the food and ag industry ag in particular uh, about 20 years ago and in and in particular I looked at sustainable agriculture can we mm-hmm. do things to you know improve agriculture and that means many different things to different people but in my kind of you know my definition was you know we got to keep agriculture, uh, to produce safe and affordable food for generations to come in every corner of the world. I mean, I was born in India, brought up in Europe, I live in the U.S., and I've seen the good and bad about you know malnutrition and things like that. So mm. that's kind of where I came into ag. Uh, I focused on biologicals and what they can do to become kind of a tool for growers for the last 18 or so years. Gotcha. And so... Yeah. So what was that transition from, you know, you're focusing on on ag and then you started BVT, B-Vectoring Technologies. So what was that whole transition like? Yeah. yeah. So I'm actually not the founder of BVT. I just want mm-hmm. to make that clear. But I joined uh, about six years ago now. Um, so, you know, what what I what I really believe we need to be able to provide as innovators are tools that are going to allow growers to meet a changing kind of food ecosystem. Right. So right, one yeah. of the things that 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 growers are being asked to do whether it's from consumers whether it's from regulators or whether it's from their customers the food companies is to go to practices that reduce the amount of chemicals that reduce the amount of water you know uh, precision agriculture using big data to be more prescriptive so those are all the ag tech tools that i think um, are going to drive the next generation of innovation in agriculture and so BVD fits in a couple of those areas, right? So we are looking at, can we change some practices to increase productivity on farm, but by using less resources, less water, less chemicals, things like that. So that's what's exciting about what BVT does. Um, the company was founded in 2012. I joined about you know five years after foundation mm-hmm. because the company was getting ready to commercialize its technology and they needed 
kind of the expertise that I had with industry connections and know-how. And it was an exciting time to join BBT back in 2016. 2016. So the whole technology, I think, is awesome because you guys are kind of using, I guess you could say, like the original workers in agriculture, like using yeah. bees to, um, to put what, a beneficial fungicide on them. And basically, they then go out and do all the quote unquote dirty work, I guess you could say. And so what all kind of went into the development process? And um, I mean, I think that's awesome work with bees. So what was the whole process like of making the technology? Yeah, so I mean, the, 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 the spark, if you will, comes from the fact that, you know, bees only visit the flower, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about pests that kind of, you know, affect the crop through the flower, there might be pathogens, it could be also insects or bacterial diseases that come to the crop through the flower. The bees are an excellent way to deliver crop protection products to that crop, right? Because you're not spraying, if you were to spray a crop, you're spraying you know, probably um, 95%, 96, 97% of the product that you're spraying doesn't land on the flower. It goes between the rows, between the mm-hmm. plants, air drift, things like that, water runoff, versus the bees that are just visiting the flower. So it starts from this uh, realization that bees are, a, in, in effect, a precision uh, um, uh, system, right? Because mm-hmm. you're only visiting the flower. So if you take that and you build out what you can get the bees to help you do, you come to the realization, well, it will be just like bees take pollen from the flower back to the hive. Why don't we just reverse that and take products from the hive to the flower, right? And so that's how the, the idea developed. So we started looking for products that are bee safe. Obviously, bees are carrying it. You've got to make sure that, uh, that they're safe for the bees themselves, uh, but then are geared towards a, you know delivering an effect to the crop that is associated with the flower. And, and so from there, you, do, you talk about developing the biological microbial products themselves, engineering the dispenser systems that make this thing work in a user-friendly environment, and you and then you build a company like BBT around it. Right, that's such a good point that you brought up that I didn't, I didn't really think about. I mean, instead of like the blanket spraying, whether that's with you know um, a crop duster or something else like a tractor, instead of right. doing that, you're literally putting the beneficial fungicide on the bee and it goes directly to the flower and it goes exactly where it needs to go. And so, I mean, that's I feel like that's a huge win sustainability-wise because you're going to use a lot less pesticides in the life cycle of the plant. That's such a win-win. Yeah, and we've actually been able to demonstrate when you compare a season-long fungicidal program, for example, on strawberries, and you compare bee vectoring compared to you know a spray application, which is the the current practice. We've shown that you can reduce the amount of um, active ingredient that's applied per acre of land to one two hundredth the amount that you would if you were to spray. And and and, and you know so and, and then of course you're talking about delivering a biological versus a chemical. So the the benefits to kind of start compounding on top of each other. You know chemicals versus biologicals versus chemicals quantity that you have be vectoring versus spraying. Uh, and then you add a third element, which is important. I live in California around water. I mean, our system doesn't use any water. A farmer may use two, you know, 500, a thousand gallons uh, per acre of land just to spray crop protection products. You eliminate that completely. Our system doesn't use any water. And so you can start seeing the true value proposition of our technology that way. That, that sounds so cool. And so, 
Um, I'm gonna try, at least over on our, our YouTube channel, if anybody's listening, I'm gonna try to put a, some video of this, of your product as you're talking about it, um, that we filmed over at the Southeast um, Fruit and Vegetable Conference. But how exactly does this technology work? Like how do the yeah. bees get the product and then how do they eventually take it to the plant? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so first thing I should point out is that we work with um, managed beehives. So these aren't wild bees. So these are mm -hmm. these are bees that a farmer would either purchase or rent for the season, typically for pollination, right? So there's, uh, for example, in almonds in California, there's about a million acres of almonds that in a couple of weeks are going to start blooming. Uh, there's about two and a half million honeybee hives that come into the state, Central Valley, to pollinate those million acres. Uh, so those are the kinds of bees that we're talking about, or, or bumblebees in greenhouses or in, in, in blueberries. Uh, what we do is we take the biological control agent, we formulate it in a special way with special, you know, co-formulants that are designed to attach to the bodies of the bees. Okay, that powder is then placed strategically at the exit. I mean, these are the way our dispensers are designed at the exit of the beehive. So as the foraging bees are leaving the hive to look for, for food, right? So the foraging bees are gonna look for pollen and, and, and nectar, because those, those are the food sources for the colony. They walk across this powder, the powder attaches to their bodies, they fly with the microbe to the crop. When they reach the crop, they start pollinating, they start looking for pollen, and they crawl across the petals and the flower, the stamen. And through that process, the microbe rubs off their bodies, falls into the flower of the crop, colonizes the plant tissue, gives the farmer the properties that they're looking for in plant protection. The bees return and the whole cycle repeats itself the next day. So it's a combination of the biological agent itself formulated to adhere to bodies of bees and then placed in dispensers that are located at the exit of the beehive. Okay. And so kind of going off of that, like how long is it efficient for the bee? Like once they pick up the fungicide, like how long does that fungicide last on them? And like how many plants can they then yeah, deliver it yeah. to afterwards? So we've been able to show that the bees can travel up to 300 yards okay. uh, from their hive. So it's important for us to kind of know that because we have to think about how, how, um, you know, what's the density of placement of hives on an acre right. of land, right? So we figured out that they can go 300 yards pretty reliably. So we typically place hives at least every 250 yards, right? Just to be make sure okay. that it's kind of overlapping. Um, and uh, and we've been able to show that at that distance, you get delivery of the, the micro. Some bees will visit multiple flowers during one mm -hmm. trip that they might make. But you've got so many bees that are visiting on any given day that over the course of a few days, you get pretty widespread dispersion of the biological control across that acre of land. Okay, that's awesome. That's really good. A 300 acre or a 300 yard radius. I mean, that's that's pretty darn efficient. And I mean, for most big farms that would have this, you're obviously going to have like a bunch of different beehives around there, like Correct. the almond farms, for example, like in Correct. California. Correct. Correct. And so we, t we end up using roughly two hives per acre. You know, some crops that might be higher density and other crops that might be lower density. So that's a that's a rule of thumb for berries. But then mm -hmm. when we go and do development work on any given crop, we will actually de determine what that stocking density, we call it, is. 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And now Everett did an awesome job explaining this um, at the conference when we talked to him. But there's kind of a key difference between bumblebees and honeybees. One are purposefully going after um, the nectar of the sugar, and the other is just kind of haphazardly getting the nectar into sugar. So what's the key differences there between bumblebees and honeybees? Yeah, I, I think I, I think it really boils down to a preference that um, farmers have for one insect versus the other. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, they both provide, they're both being used to provide pollination services. You know, one big difference between the bumblebees and, and honeybees is the sheer number of, of bees that you'll have per hive. You may have when a bumblebee hive has reached its kind of, you know, maturity, it may have 250 or 300 insects. Compared to a honeybee hive, you may have 20,000 or 30,000 insects. So you just have a sheer, you know, order of magnitude, several orders of magnitude, not more, more honeybees than you would bumblebees per hive. Mm-hmm. You know, a bumblebee is bigger than a honeybee. So one bumblebee will be a better pollinator compared to one honeybee. But you've just got, you know, the numbers, like I, like I said, that makes... Honeybees a little bit more um, better suited for large acreage outdoor crops. Right. Uh, bumblebee hives can be very efficient in a smaller area, and I think that they are, you know, insect for insect, probably better pollinators. And they're a little mm. bit more. Uh, I, I think um, you know researchers would say they're more hardy. They'll work at colder temperatures, for example, than honeybees might. So there's more flexibility that way with the bumblebee hive than you would have with the honeybee hive. But, at, you know, like I said, at some point, Trevor, just the sheer numbers, you know, will, will kind of uh, make a honeybee very efficient on, on big acreage orchards like, like almonds. You would, you know, today, bumblebees aren't being used on those big acreage outdoor crops. Yeah, I mean, that key word there again is efficiency. I mean, honeybees, there's so many more and they can pollinate kind of more, but then bumblebees are smaller, but they're kind of more, I guess, direct on where they go and I guess more purposeful, um, yeah. which, which yeah. is really interesting. I mean, that's so fun. Um, and I really thought about that. I looked it up because I was trying to Google it. I'm like, you know, what's the key differences there between bumblebees and honeybees? And bumblebees kind of go from flower to flower, kind of more purposeful, and honeybees right. are just kind of sporadic. They go everywhere, exactly. Yeah, and then you know it makes sense because I remember growing up um, at my grandma's house, she had bumblebees, and I would watch them, and they would go from flower to flower very slowly, and then the honeybees would just be very sporadic. I'm like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Like, I guess I guess honeybees maybe have like ADHD or something because they're just all over the place, <laughs> but that's yeah. pretty funny. And so I know there's a lot of issues facing bees right now. I mean, you know, their populations are always decreasing. Yeah. And um, even, which I didn't know this was a thing, but in places like California where, you know, people ship their bees to populate or to to pollinate the almond farms, a lot of bees are getting stolen out there because they're so lucrative. So, I mean, how important was it for you guys to develop a fungicide that was going to be beneficial and not hurt the bees because bees have a lot of problems. So how was that? you know, kind of wanting to be efficient for the crops, but also making sure you protect the bees. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So I think the, 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 the point there, uh, Trevor is, you know, there's several reasons why bee populations are coming under, under, under threat. Uh, you know, varroa mite, climate change are certainly things that, that are here today that we have to deal with and understand. But one Mm -hmm. of the areas that is very clear is also the overuse of pesticides. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously there's certain insecticides that have a very direct impact, right? You've heard of, we've all heard about neonics and and their effect on on bee populations. But what, what, 
we now know also is that the overuse of chemical fungicides can also come back and have, they may not have a direct and immediate effect on the adult bees in a colony, but they'll have a knock-on effect on the brood and the next generations that kind of disorient them. And I don't know exactly how, but it changes their nervous system is the belief mm. and navigation skills. Um, so what we have got with the BBT system is a clever way that the bees can kind of help themselves, right? So, okay. you know, we've done a lot of studies in order to get our product registered by the EPA. We had to provide bee safety studies, adults, larvae, all of those uh, kind of uh, toxicology studies and so on. Uh, so through that system and through the use of our system, a farmer can actually reduce, if not eliminate, the, the chemical in, in the case of our Clonostaca CR7, chemical fungicide sprays. So that can then come back and help the colony's health, right, indirectly. So the mm -hmm. bees, in a sense, can actually help themselves. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, beyond uh, a direct chemical reduction and water use and things like that on the farming operation, we believe we've got a solution that is also better for bee health in the long term. Absolutely. I mean, bee health is so important. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard so much technology that's coming out of this because people are scared that when bees go, you know, hopefully they don't, but in the off chance that they go extinct, we're trying to develop technology. And so there's bee drones, which are yeah. little, little tiny drones yeah, that yeah, work yeah. just like yeah. drones. So what are your thoughts on those, on the, yeah, maybe the future I mean, of that tech? I, I think there's a, there's a place for, for them, but it's, mm. it, you know, and I, and I don't know how far the technology has advanced to a point where it's difficult for me to kind of visualize how anything can be as cost-effective as 30,000 insects can be. <laughs> That's right? true, yeah. So think about, uh, you know, tiny little bee drones. How are you going to power them? How are you going to make them? And how are you going to have, you know, uh, you may not need 30,000 of them, but you're going to need several hundreds, if not thousands of them to, to, to pollinate. Do you know how many flower and we talked about a million acres of almonds in california every every kind of valentine's day kicks off you know how many flowers that those bees are pollinating it's hundreds of millions no trillions three what? trillion flowers oh my god so, yeah i mean i don't know you I don't, you said you're in the midwest I'm, I'm actually in the northern end of the you know the central valley just outside of sacramento and i drive up and down i-5 Mm -hmm. It is just amazing when when the almonds are are blooming, you see white flowers everywhere. There's three trillion flowers. So, how many drones would you actually need to to hit those, right? Yeah. So I'm have I have trouble kind of visualizing that those drones could be technologically and cost effective. Now maybe in indoor crops in greenhouses, perhaps, but these big outdoor crops. I don't know. We may, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think about it, there's so much you got to do. I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of like artificial intelligence you'd have to create to like help the, the drones figure out what the flower is, where to pollinate it. And, you know, I'm sure there would be some sort of damage f to the flower. Like if that drone gets too close, but maybe, I don't know, there'd be like a boom arm or something you could do. But I mean, yeah, there, yeah. Uh, yeah kind of going off of that, it's kind of, bees are going to be much more cost effective and much more efficient, at least for the next, I don't know, couple of decades for sure. That's the way I think about it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and yeah. so you you mentioned earlier that this works really well for bees and almonds. Are there any crops where this, I mean, really any types of crops where this really wouldn't yeah, work I out? Mean, it wouldn't be beneficial. Yeah. So it has to be a flowering crop, right? You're not mm -hmm. going to put, um, you're not going to put bees out for crops that don't have flowers or don't have a, you know, high, we don't, it doesn't go on corn, soybeans, rice, cereals, it, it'll go, you know, right now we're, we're looking at the berry crops. We're looking at, um, you know, tree fruit, okay. whether they're poem or stone fruit. So apples, pears, you know, uh, plums, apricots, uh, cherries, they all have uh, flowering time, uh, certainly oil seeds. So canola, sunflowers, and then of course, tree nuts. We've already talked on that and uh, vegetables, primarily tomatoes, peppers, mostly indoors in mm -hmm. greenhouses. So it's maybe not the biggest market for us in the US, but as we start looking at, you know, north of the border in Canada, we go down to Mexico, we go to Europe, covered crops is also a big, tremendous opportunity for us. So there's enough uh, enough out there to keep us very busy for the next several <laughs> years. Yeah, I bet. And you said it, um, this tech does work in, in greenhouse environments? It does, it does. So typically farmers, I mean, they'll actually use bumblebees indoors. They won't use honeybees. So we'll, that's mm -hmm. where the majority of our. So, for example, in Europe, when we are when we do eventually commercialize, which started the process, it'll be mostly be a bumblebee-driven business. So, is there kind of an increased efficiency whenever they're in a, a greenhouse environment? Well, I think it's your comment you made earlier that they're more bumblebees are more purposeful, right? And they'll go mm -hmm. visit just the flower. And if you put a honeybee inside a greenhouse. They become, you know, immediately their concerns around worker safety and the fact that the bees are just going to go everywhere. Mm. So I think those are the other issues that then come into effect in a greenhouse operation, which better suits uh, the bumblebees. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, when it comes to like greenhouse and, and beneficial insects, I always like to share the story. I taught high school ag for two years and um, we had a greenhouse. We had a little hydroponic system growing with like lettuce and stuff like that, other leafy greens. And we had some aphids and um, our students are like, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, hey, watch this. So I went to the store. I bought some lady beetles. Um, yeah. You know, they were frozen. So you get them yeah. and they thaw out and they were eating the aphids and they thought it was amazing. And then the next day we came back, all the lady beetles were gone. We were like, well, wait, where'd they go? Uh -oh. So in the greenhouse, I left the top vent open. And so they all <laughs> flew wild. out. And I was like, guys, this is a good teachable moment. We had a great thing going, but we didn't check all of our um, exits. And so the lady beetles all left. But I thought that was fun. It was a good little teachable moment for the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing about our, um, you know, when we talk about biological systems and, you know, we work with uh, microbes, with our beneficial fungus as mm -hmm. a microorganism. But, you know, things like predatory insects, whether they're lady beetles or other other. Uh, bigger insects that eat little smaller insects. We, those are macrobials, right? Microbials mm -hmm. is what we have. Those are big. It's amazing what you can now do with uh, using these different tools and totally eliminate the need for chemicals. It's pretty exciting mm -hmm. that uh, that you can have this this system of all biological control to allow these crops to grow in a healthy manner, devoid of the use of chemicals. Uh, and, and, you know, even in even our system today, we deliver this biological fungus that controls different diseases, mm. but we've already are testing. And in fact, already signed an agreement with a company that's got a biological insecticide. So the same beehive can actually deliver our biological fungus 
that is a fungicide, but mm -hmm. also a bioinsecticide. So you can actually have two microorganisms being delivered to the flower and control different flower thrips. Okay. Right? So uh, the, the, you know, part of our growth strategy is to expand the amount of products that we can have for controlling different, different pests that farmers deal with. That's fascinating. And then kind of going off of that, I, I guess this is kind of a two-part question for you. Um, one, what has the response been like from farmers? And then two, what are those farmers having to do? Like how much are they having to replace the cartridge that has the um, pesticide or the fungicide in there? And what's that whole process like? So the response has been very, very positive. So, you know, because we're dealing with bees, I think farmers, you know, automatically kind of recognize the, the value of that asset that they're already renting, right? So they already get it. I mean, they understand the value that they bring to, to make their, you know, better pollinate their crop or whatever. So then they start seeing, well, wait a minute, that same beehive that we're using can also be used to do what? Right. I mean, there's a little bit of a really, you know, effect. And, and so then you walk them through it. You show them the product. You do a demonstration. They see the results and, and they and they kind of and they and, and they go for, and we go from there and get a sale. So it's been a very positive discussion with the farmers, I would find. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What was the second part of your no, question? Yeah, no. Um, what's the process of like replacing the cartridge? Like oh, how much do they the have cartridge, to replace right, it? Exactly. Yeah. So then, um, so we do have in these dispensers a certain amount of product that goes in. And of mm -hmm. course, as the bees deliver it to the crop, that product gets exhausted, right? So you gotcha. have to replace it. Uh, so we have, um, it's usually uh, every week. If it's a bumblebee hive, in a honeybee hive, it's every 10 days mm -hmm. that you would go back and you would replace the, the, the product. But we've made it very easy. So uh, we have prepackaged trays that a farmer can go in and kind of open up a little lid and just take out the old tray, put the new tray in, close it. And literally in about five or six seconds, they can replace the tray. It's a very, very simple process. Sometimes growers don't have, you know, operators that are comfortable with it and we'll do it for them. But mm -hmm. after we do it for one season, they see how easy it is. They'll start the second season. They'll do it themselves. Yeah, we saw at the trade show how easy it was just to take it out or even just yeah. add some more fungicide to it. I mean, it's so easy. And the one for, I believe, honeybees looks exactly like a printer. I mean, yeah. it's got a little <laughs> cartridge in there that you put it in there. And it, it, that one even has a solar panel on it, right? That it does. allows it the does. bees to go out. It does. And the reason that you've got, so now you start talking about the differences between the two systems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So remember what I said earlier, you may have 20 or 30,000 insects inside a beehive in a, uh, sorry, a honeybee hive. So if you put in just, uh, if you had a passive system that just put whatever hundred grams of active ingredient, you've got such a volume of bees going back and forth that that powder would probably get dispersed in a few, in five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's not what we want. We want steady delivery of the inoculum onto the acre of farm over the course of several days. So we actually have a computer controlled system, which drops a, a predetermined amount of product onto the exit of the hives. Okay. So by doing so, and for example, the system automatically shuts off at night. So you're not wasting any product. Uh, it shuts off if the conditions are it's rainy or it's too cold that the bees aren't going to be act active. So we can make that powder last a whole 10 days by doing that, right? So that's the reason why it's kind of, we call it a smart dispenser or an mm -hmm. electromechanical dispenser. So we've got a little microprocessor and motors and things like that. And so the solar panels are there just to keep the batteries recharged. 
Right. So you install it and then you basically don't have to do it until the bloom periods end and then you remove the dispensers at the end of the period. That's not bad. So it's pretty hands-off, which is really nice. I mean, besides just having to add any more fungicide to it. That it, it it's completely hands-off. And typically what happens is the beekeeper is visiting that hive every week or every 10 days anyhow. So they keep a, a lookout to make sure everything is running fine. That's an additional check that we have that's already built into the the way business operates, the business model. So yeah, it's, it, it's quite hands-off. I bet. And before I forget about it, I made a note. So for the honeybees, um, are you still able to keep their honey that's in the hive from this? Yes. Does this have any impact yes. on it? No, we've tested. We've made sure that there's no uh, effect on the honey. So if that's the beekeeper can collect the honey at the end of the season and, and do and you know sell it, do whatever they do with the honey. Yes. That's awesome. So it's a win-win. I mean, not only are you using the bees to, of course, pollinate the crop, but you, all, you can also keep that honey and you're also using them to help deliver some beneficial fungicide to those crops that's That's exactly right you're adding kind of a you're adding another revenue stream to that and 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 that's bringing that asset that the farmer's already renting is suddenly more and more important and more valuable for them too oh absolutely that's so cool um so what's the future looking like for bvt are you guys kind of ramp up production what's the future looking like Yeah, yeah yeah it's quite exciting we've um so there's several things that we're working on one is you know, we, we introduced the product in the United, in fact, this is our third season. Okay. And we got the EPA registration for our biofungicide. Uh, so we're going to continue seeing rapid growth, opening up new markets, new crops and new geographies within the U.S. But we've also started geographic expansion beyond the U.S. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, in 2022, we plan to submit our product for registration in Mexico, in Canada, in the okay. European Union. Uh, we started work in South America as well. Uh, so that's one way that we're going to expand our business. But then the other way is through uh, product portfolio expansion and, and looking at other uses for our biofungicide. So by portfolio expansion, I'm talking about, for example, that bioinsecticide deal that we announced in Europe. So we're in licensing third-party products that we then evaluate to make sure that they're safe for the bees okay. and they work with our dispensers. And then we, we develop them and then make them available for bee delivery. Uh, so we've started and we've got our first project in Europe that's underway for that, the European Union. We're working with other candidate products in North America as well. Uh, and then market expansions are, you know, we've got a very good biofungicide and that we're delivering using bees, but we know that it would make a very good seed treatment product and we would make mm-hmm. a very good foliar spray, more traditional application methods. So we're expanding our business to include those kinds of uh, markets as well. And those will be typically, we'll be using partners to develop those. Right. And so when you're trying to get a farmer to get this technology, um, what are they? What are some th- common things that they're looking for? Like, do they want to see an action? Do they want to see reports on how it's impacted crops and the bees and stuff like that? So what are what are some selling points that they're wanting whenever you're trying to get this to them? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, there's two things that we've been able to demonstrate. Um, and, and they and they typically want to see it on their farm. So even though we've right. done work with universities and things like that, they always want to see a benefit. Okay, what does it mean for me? But but we will go and we'll look at you know a disease control. So it is a registered fungicide system. <clears throat> so we'll look for reduced monolinea or botrytis, depending on what the problem is that they have, anthracnose. Um, but then what we also know is that the system actually makes the crop healthier plant okay. health and yield increases and yield increases could come because you're controlling a disease 
or could come because we have a plant stimulating effect. We know that our microbe does that. So we will also look at uh, yield increases, right? So whenever we're doing a demo with a farmer, we will help them assess disease benefits, but we'll also encourage them to look at yield increases, more, more berries per crate, whatever they're, however they, they pack their, their crop. Um, and then finally, we've also seen instances with quality, right? We've seen, you know, diameters of blueberries that are bigger than you would have if you didn't use the BVT system. Oh, wow. So we start looking for things like that as, or, or shelf life. We'll see that the berries have a longer shelf life. So those are, those are metrics that we all, um, you know, we can assess. And depending on what's important for the grower, we'll help them make those kinds of comparisons tailored to their needs. Gotcha. And yeah, those are metrics that, I mean, any farmer would be super jazzed to have. I mean, bigger berries, longer shelf life. I mean, that's pretty much a win-win for anybody to have. So that's awesome that it's developing all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the benefits are to the farmer themselves. Mm -hmm. Others are for the packer and the food and the, and the berry company. So again, you know, we, we, there's times that we will, when we, when we do a trial or a demo, we will include the pack house or, you know, The, the the cow giants or Driscolls or Nature Ripes, the, the big berry companies will typically follow the work that we do as well. Because some of cool. the benefits applies to them. Yeah, so all the players involved can kind of see that this is very beneficial. That, that's that's awesome. That's You kind of get yeah. everybody on the same page for it. Correct, correct. Yeah, That's cool. Um, well, Sheesh, this has been awesome, man, learning about bee veterinary technology. I think bees, I love learning more and more about bees and how um, cool, sustainable technology like this is really improving the industry. Um, so if a farmer or even a consumer, if they're curious about this, where can they go to learn more about BVT and what you guys are doing? Yeah. I mean, so obviously our, we've got a number of resources. Our, our website is www.beevt.com. Um, we're on, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the normal social channels. Um, send us a, on our website, there's a link. If you have any questions, send us a, a, you know, an email. We'd be happy to follow up and, and, and talk to you about how we can help your operation in particular. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this was a blast. We'll have to touch base with you guys soon once you go into those different markets to kind of see, I don't know, what the impact and the feedback has been. So this has been great, man. All right. Very good. I enjoy the conversation. And again, thank you for listening to my interview with Ashish. If you want to learn more, go to beevt.com. That's going to be the bee vectoring website. Or if you want to check out more of our content, go to thefarmtraveler.com. You know, we're also available on all other podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, CastBox, Stitcher, basically everywhere else. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool because we've started off 2022 to an awesome start. We have had a huge amount of downloads in the past few weeks. So welcome to all of our new listeners and thank you so much for listening to Farm Traveler. Um, Consider sharing with a friend or family member, consider leaving a review, consider subscribing. There's so much you can do to help the show and to help people learn more about food and farming, agriculture, and all that good stuff. We have new episodes every week. Be sure to come back and learn a thing or two. Uh, I had a blast with this episode learning about bees and all that cool new technology and can't wait for you to see what next week's episode is. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.